Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Indeed, it is time for uh, Movies and Booze. Our WhatsApp number is 087-1400-106. You can send a message or a voice note uh, to us. And just to remind you, our outside, our Movies and Booze outside broadcast in the Sugar Club this day week. Uh, that's the 9th of December. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of the audience, that's in association with our friends at Marks and Spencers, of course, you can go to newstalk.com forward slash events. Uh, we are joined this week, though, by Esther McCarthy, Rachel Ryan and Dean McGuinness. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. Hello. Uh, Esther, your films are about riding. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Lots of it as well. Oh, great. And the very best type of riding involving Jack O'Connell, I have to say. The women, the <laughs> oh. women of Ireland are in for a treat. Right. OK. And so uh, After Sun is... Uh, uh, and it is kind of... Uh, it's uh, various sorts of riding, I suppose, as one could put it. Well, After Sun isn't so much. Um, OK. It, Lady Chatterley's is a lot of it. Yeah. It? But After Sun is more about the relationship between the father and his daughter, so it's um, long after the riding's ended, I suppose, and he's broken up with her mam. He brings this little girl, um, she's about, maybe about 10, to um, a holiday in Turkey. And they bond over the course of this holiday. And it's an absolutely wonderful film, Sean. It's actually, it's getting so much um, good buzz and strong reviews that they're expanding the cinema release this week. So it's going to be available in more cinemas from today um, and I think you're going to start seeing this one coming into award season conversation. I thought when I saw it originally that it might be just a little too indie and a little bit too abstract. But the momentum seems to be really building for this one. Paul Maskell, maybe? I think so. You know, you're definitely going to see he was um, nominated in the Gotham Awards this week, which are the indie awards out in New York. Um, I think you're definitely going to see him for the BAFTAs. Um and because it's a British production and they do tend to favour British films, besides the fact that it's fabulous. Uh, and I think you could see it definitely having a run at the Independent Spirit Awards, which are kind of Oscar indies um, in, in L.A. But who knows then when it comes to the, the uh, Best Actor Oscar race? It's pretty open this year. Um, I think possibly the only two lock-ins are, are Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. So there's three places there to be filled and it'd be gas if there was uh, two Irish men in the best, uh, be best actor race. Yeah, yeah so, it'd be fun. Yeah, so Lady Chatterley's Lover, uh, I said, is it a different, well, of course it's a different take, it's been done a few times before, but in, in, in the era of consent and all that, uh, it can't be like chasing around the garden kind of thing. I think, you know what, it's refreshing that it's not trying to be postmodern. Um, I think oh. it is. Yeah, I think the the strength and the power of the novel, the original novel, was that that sort of stuff was all in there in the writing anyway. So I like that the filmmakers and the cast have the faith in the source material to say that it's very relevant and pertinent to women today, you know. And I do think, I suppose there's one thing, there is a French director on this one. It's, she's a female director. Um, she made a really good film called Mustang a few years ago. And, and I suppose, you know, bringing that female storyteller in kind of naturally gives it that layer of, of modern uh, kind of modern storytelling, I think. But otherwise, it's it's very much a traditional story. And it's gas like how much of a story caused um, when it first came out, wasn't it? Because yeah. like the novel was banned for 30 years um, on, on, you know, written shortly before he died, D.H. Lawrence in, in 1930. 
only published in 1960, um, leading to a famous fo- poem by Philip Larkin, which he c- refers to sexual intercourse beginning around the time that uh, the book was banned and between then and the release of the Beatles' first album. So it was really the whole idea that there was no sex before... Um, television. Uh, before television, really. <laughs> <laughs> that came later um, to Ireland, yeah. That, that's what happened there. Anyway, we'll talk about those two uh, in more detail. Uh, um, uh, also, uh, Dean McGuinness is here now, as you know, Dean likes to uh, bring in very finely produced beers and uh, talk about uh, uh, the, the various subtexts of the beers and what they, you know, taste of and all the rest of it. Today he's forgotten all that fanciness. Basically, this is the, the maximum amount of beer in the smallest <laughs> amount of space, uh, and you can open a big machine. And uh, it's, I suppose, the mechanical aspect of these two things. Describe what you brought into us, Dean. So, but my beer nerd neurons are having orgasms at the moment. I'm very, very excited about this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll clean the place down when you're gone. Don't worry. <laughs> what we've got is uh, we're talking about draft dispense systems. Now they range from the kind of full system that you'd have in a pub where you've got a cold room and lengths of line and pythons and uh, cooling systems and dispense gas and so on uh, down to uh, smaller um, things where you can get a kind of a 300 euro system uh, which will you basically put a, a, a keg into it and it'll cool down the keg and has uh, gas in it. Uh, to this, these are five litre kegs and they have the entire draft dispense system built into the head of the keg. Right. Uh, so you've got a gas cylinder in the head of the keg, a dispense tap. Uh, the way you cool them down is these have been in my fridge for a couple of days, but 24 hours will get them down to temperature and they'll hold that temperature, assuming you don't put them on a radiator or something like that, <laughs> yes. um, for, for 24 hours. So they'll, um, if, you, if you have them in a party, for example, they'll whole temperature for uh, for the night. So we have two um, five litre kegs of uh, beer here. One is called Le Guillotine. It's a Belgian IPA. And the other is a Delirium Tremens, a strong Belgian golden ale. Yeah, they don't undername their beers, do they, no. really? Yeah, they're, 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 <laughs> this is what this will do to you. Yeah. And and so wh- how does the dispensing system at the top work? Is there gas in it or something? Or, or? Yeah, so there is, uh, on the top, there's a kind of a black head on top of the keg. And then there's a little lever that you pull and that pulls out the dispense tap. Then there's a second lever that just rotates around and what that does is punches a hole in the top of the keg and feeds the uh, CO2 in the small gas cylinder in the head of the keg into the top of the keg. That's pushing down all the time and then when you want to serve it, you just pull up the lever and pull that back and it pours just exactly like that. Just like that. Okay, that's uh, very graceful. They're very heavy, Dean. I helped you carry them in. Like, they're really heavy. They're like a bit of a workout. You're full of beer. Uh, That (laughs) would be the uh, main thing. For for a litre of water or beer, you're looking at a kilo. So, basically, for five litres, you're looking at five kilos plus a little bit more for the uh, for the thing, yeah. Uh, so the, it'd be about five and a half, six kilos. There you go, Rachel. You can skip the gym this evening. Well, so five you, kilograms is the already. perfect weight for for my arm workout. So there you go. I'll just take them home if that's okay. Okay. Uh, they've released the trailer for the new Indiana Jones movie. I think a lot of people are going to watch this through their fingers and just go. Please don't be crap. Okay. Well, I think fans of Indiana Jones will probably be into this, right? But I think the number one thing that is sticking out from this trailer is that Harrison Ford, who we all love, he's great. The man is 80 years old. Um, He looks incredible in it. They're using this new de-aging technology. Have you heard about this? Yeah, well, they like they used in in that Scorsese film. And they've used the it Irish in man. the Irishman and yeah. stuff. So it's like a really, really strong filter on his 
face. It's, you know, like a filter you'd use on Instagram or something like that, but it's on Harrison Ford's face. So he looks really, really young in a lot of the scenes. So people are, are like, what's going on? But no, he is actually 80, but they're doing a kind of flashback opening sequence, which is supposed right. to be okay. right. 40 years ago. Um, so, you know, it has everything you want from an Indiana Jones movie. You know, there's action sequences. Uh, we see Harrison Ford riding a horse, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, now, there's not a huge amount of details on the actual plot, but they've said that there there's going to be supernatural vibes from it. So I'm thinking, is there going to be otherworldly beings? Is there going to be, I don't know, aliens again, perhaps? But it's been 14 years since we've had an Indiana Jones movie, a very, very long time. Um, and 40 years since the very first Indiana Jones. So in, in this movie, do we know... Okay, there's flashbacks, but will it be Indiana Jones as an 80-year-old man? So is it set in kind of modern times? Yes, and there's there's a flashback at the beginning to when he was much younger, of course. And there's a new cast member in this, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah, From Fleabag is playing uh, his goddaughter in this, which I think is quite interesting. So, like, I just would never have put her in this kind of role, but she seems to be getting involved in whatever adventure he's heading off on. She goes with him in this movie. So I think that'll be interesting to see their dynamic together. Right. Well, say if in the original Indiana Jones, it was during the Second World War. Isn't that right? Because there was Nazis Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, So that was like, let's just say for the sake of argument, that was 1940. Yeah. And how old would he have been in that? He would have been, say, let's say 35. So, um, so this yeah, is a lot of maths. It's a lot of maths, Isn't yeah. It? So you add 45 to <laughs> I that. I don't have my calculator. Uh, what's 35 and 45? <laughs> uh, Go on. 80. 80? Yes. Is it? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. so it must be yeah. set in 1980 then. So be Maybe it is set in 1980s, yeah. Yeah, because if it's set in 2022, he'll be like 140 years old or something. And there's no yeah. amount of filter that could help him out with that. So yeah, yeah, perhaps that is the case. Yeah, but it's out in June 2023, so not too long to wait. And uh, I'd say this will be Harrison Ford's last crack of the whip, perhaps. Dial of Destiny, though? Yeah. So the Dial of Destiny, that is a crap name. I that is a crap assume name. refers to him going back in time. There's time travel right? in Right? Dial it of is. Destiny. Yeah. That's what it is. Jumping for So it is actually set in the 42nd century and he goes back in time <laughs> uh, to fight I Nazis again. I think we'll again. be jumping around to all kinds of decades, to be okay, honest. Okay, so uh, Will Smith, uh, in desperate attempt to win an Oscar, is on TV <laughs> crying. So uh, he's going on what people are calling his apology tour. He's actually promoting his movie, Emancipation, right? But he's been doing loads of interviews um, kind of emphasising that he's very sorry for what happened at the Oscars earlier this year um, but the interview that stood out to me this week he was on uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah mm. and he was asking him all about it and Will was saying look you know basically you don't know what people are going through and he was going through something that night and he kind of just lost it is what he was saying and he said it's no excuse but that's kind of what you well, he was kind of making excuses uh, but he <laughs> he wasn't making no excuse, excuses but it is an excuse but it kind of is an excuse but um, so he said he was uh, he was sorry and he, he also said he understood that if people aren't ready to see his first post-slap movie which I'm sure the pure people from the movie were not really happy with him putting it that way um, but he did shed a few tears now during the interview with Trevor Noah uh, when I say tears, his eyes were glazed and he kept taking a tissue out of his pocket and kind of uh, dabbing his eyes. He can turn that on. He can definitely turn it on. Trevor Noah was crying though as well. 
he's a pal of his and he was oh, like he? and he was saying I know it's not the real you and he so they were both crying their eyes out, eyes, eyes out basically so this is a sort of an attempt I think now to get him back into the Oscars because there are rumours that he will be nom- nominated for his role in Emancipation so Will they let him back in the room? Like, how awkward if he gets nominated but for an Oscar? He, can he still be nominated? Is he not kicked out of the Academy or something? I think he can can't still attend. be nominated, but I, I don't think he can't. He can't attend. He can't go. All right. Okay. But like, would you, what would they do if he won? Like, get him up on a video link? Or get like... Chris Rock to receive him on his behalf. That's, <laughs> uh, that's the obvious. Um... It's a full circle justice moment. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's what they'll do. Yeah, uh, Esther, have you? Uh, when will, uh, have we seen Emancipation? Have you? Seen, well, I haven't seen it, but have you seen it? Or when will? arrive here um, it's on Amazon from next weekend I think Sean ah. it's out on the 9th and I just think if you got nominated it would be absolutely gas yeah. to see how they're going to manage that and handle that it would be so funny so it must, so is it one of those films that did like three days in a, in a cinema in Los Angeles just so we can qualify there's a lot of that going around but not in this case I don't think it's getting a theatrical release at all it's Amazon Prime's um, or Prime Video at least uh, acquisition but they will obviously put it out in cinemas in the States to qualify because you have ah, to have right. a theatrical run yeah. in L.A. and New York of at least 10 days. I think that's the qualifying rule there. It can be just a tiny few cinemas, though. But once it's released in those two cities. They had a big premiere last night in L.A. And Will and Jada and all the kids were there. Big show. They were all there. Okay. Yeah. Show of uh, um, show solidarity. Of solidarity. Uh, yes. and all the re- yeah, that's so interesting. Hashtag get well to see, the Oscars. But I would imagine members of the Academy might, it might stick in their craw to try and to vote for him given what he did the year before. Well, it's a great uh, talking point, isn't it? Yeah. As well, good publicity for the Oscars. Uh, oh, uh, another question for you, Esther. Do you know the release w- uh, date for The Whale? I've been waiting for that one for a while, actually, because there's been so much talk about it. So it's, it's Darren Aronofsky's film. So you really don't know what you're going to get here because it's his last film, Mother, was absolutely bonkers. Um, but it's Brendan Fraser's performance that's being singled out. And oh, yeah. Widely, widely praised. And of course, Brendan Fraser has an amazing backstory as well, a very poignant one about, you know, he, he experienced abuse at the Golden Globes, actually, at, at the hands of a, a, a senior Golden Globes exec, executive. And it effectively kind of stalled his career. He was such a star in the, mm. in the 90s, you know. And this is his kind of comeback. And I think it's a really poignant story and people are totally on board with him. But I am hearing very, very mixed word about the actual film itself. It's getting very mixed reviews. Ah. I don't know when the release date is here. I'm assuming it's at least January at this point. I'd know if it was this side of Christmas. Uh, no, it's um, not. No, the, apparently, the, uh, this is what, according to Google, the US uh, release date is next week, the 9th uh, day of our OB. Uh, it's been released here February the 3rd. Yeah, uh, that makes uh, sense. Next year, obviously. Right, okay, so you'll have, just have to wait for that. Uh, just going back to the Indiana Jones, somebody wants to know, so his face is filtered, but what about his body? Or was that, was the... <laughs> no, they could only afford his face, so... Yeah. <laughs> so was... No, but, uh, and, and the reason why I think somebody's ass is, is that somebody else makes the point, the CGI in The Irishman does actually, uh, does actually look good, but... Robert De Niro still moved like an old man. The fight scene in particular actually looked comical. That is a fair point. That there is still a fair that, point. You know. And there is a lot of stunts in Indiana Jones. So close-ups with a filtered face and maybe a stunt double for the body. I don't know. Yeah, you'd have to do that yeah. uh, very carefully. Yeah. Uh, can, uh, can you ask Dean where I can get the Delirium Red mini keg? 
The Delirium Red Mini Keg isn't in the country, but uh, ah. the Delirium Tremens and Guillotine are. Um, if you're looking for it online, Beer Club would have it. Um, the good uh, specialist off licenses uh, would have it, but depending on what parts of the country you're in, Bradley's in Cork, uh, um, uh, McHugh's in Dublin, for example, would, would be places for them. Right. John in Limerick says, Ah, Jesus, five litres is only ten pints. Just about enough for a quiet <laughs> night in with a couple of pals watching the football. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what you think it is, John and Henry, believe you me. So this is uh, the, the guillotine we're doing first. So it? we're tasting guillotine, yeah. So this is a Belgian IPA, so a uh, hoppy character. It's a multi-grain beer, so it's got uh, barley malt, wheat and oats. Uh, the oats give it a kind of a creamy texture, the wheat a bit uh, crisp, and then the barley malt gives it malt sweetness. Three different types of grains. Brewer's Gold is a UK uh, of, of hops. Uh, Brewer's Gold is a UK hop giving, giving uh, bitterness and then Amarillo from the US giving a, a citrus mandarin orange sweetness. Amarillo? Oh. What and is Amarillo? I just thought it was the place you drove to. It's uh, a place in Texas but yeah. it's also a name of a hop. Uh, oh, right. so, okay. um, I was thinking of an armadillo. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm, the taste of armadillo. And um, then the third one is Sats, which is a Czech hop, a hop from the Czech Republic, and that gives a kind of a black pepper flavour. Uh, you've got a Belgian yeast in it, uh, which gives kind of a, a spicy character, nutmeg, cinnamon, clove uh, type flavour. And then there's a certain amount of lime and uh, ginger, gingerbread type flavour uh, to it as well. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, absolutely beautiful beer. Uh, 8.5% ABV. Mm. Um, um, so, um, so John and Limerick, that's equivalent to twenty pints. Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. It, and uh, now I've tasted this regularly in in Belgium on draft, and it is there a is a lot experience. going on there. That really is a, a you yeah. know you wouldn't want. That's not a session beer. That's a sipping beer because there's it, it is so a much sipping going beer. On and it's it's a funny thing. I was joking while we were off air that you know if if you buy two bottles of beer and you just want to drink exactly one and a half bottles of beer, you kind of have to finish the second bottle once it's open. Mm. But you know, with Irish drink culture the way it is, we're very disciplined about how much we drink. So if you have a, a, a thing like this, you could drink like Sorry, exactly... did you guys rewind <laughs> that statement there? <laughs> you could drink like 410 millilitres of beer and then stop <laughs> yes, and not drink exactly, any more yes. of the night and put it back in the fridge and it would be perfect the following day. Uh, once you open the Dean, how long does it last for? About a month. It'll, uh, right, yeah, okay. It'll last a month because basically with uh, draft systems, um, what you've got, the temperature is important. You need to get it down to temperature and it'll take 24 hours to get it down to temperature. So uh, our fridge is particularly aggressive, so it does a really good job, brings it down to about uh, four degrees, but anywhere between about four and six degrees Celsius. Um, Then uh, what you've got is because uh, some... Uh, home draft dispense systems uh, there's some very basic ones that use a kind of a hand pump mm. that will pump air into the keg and that's what pushes the beer out and that works fine you can put the keg into a, a bucket of ice and have this hand pump and, and pump like you're pumping a bike um, it will pump the air in it will pump the beer out but after about two to three days the air will start reacting with the beer and you'll get uh, what are called oxidised flavours which can range from uh, licking newspaper or cardboard uh, to cat pee it Ooh, and the lovely. person who knows that it tastes like cat pee, I really want to, to meet him. No, yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> this is for research. And how much is the, uh, is the La Guillotine you're, you're looking for for both of them around the 65 to 75 euro right, uh, mark okay. for, for yeah. uh, thing now. But, but I suppose if you bought the equivalent in bottles, you're, that you're, really would be a workout. You wouldn't be able to carry all them. Yeah, yourself. well, and in Ireland, the excise on, on beer is quite high in Ireland, the tax on beer, and then you're paying 23% VAT on top of that. So with an 8.5% beer, 
the tax is going to be double what it would be on a four point two percent beer, um, and that makes up a certain amount of the, the, the cost so it pushes it up. But again, it is a sipping beer. It mm. is not, you know, like yeah. kind of one under your arm is, and is drinking it at a party. Is there aniseed in, a, in this yes, one? You'll oh, get, yeah, you'll, you'll, uh, that will oh. develop through the um, fermentation with Belgian <gasps> yeasts you get. Um, they're a specific type of yeast called puff yeasts, uh, which is a phenolic off-flavour yeast that will develop flavours like aniseed and cinnamon and nutmeg and clove. There you uh, go. So, yeah. Quite the gourmet now. Well done. <laughs> Thrilled with myself. Very good. Uh, uh, Kathleen says, if Will Smith got nominated but couldn't go, that would be some slap in the face. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, Esther, what movie would you like to do first? Uh, let's do Lady Chatterley, will we? Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. You know what you have? Tenderness. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you were gentle. I've had enough of gentlemen. Well, they're a different breed. How do you mean? Dead. Dead. You've got to cut them parts of you that feel off. If you're going to send men into mines or factories or into battle. See that out, you live with what you've done. Not like any man I've ever met before. You're not like any other woman. No. Ooh, uh, I love you. Uh, right, that's Lady Chatterley's lover, uh, and and you know the story is essentially about a posh woman finds a bit of rough in the garden. Uh, is that is it still that? <laughs> It's still that. And I suppose a tip for any man, like, don't hire Jack O'Connell to be your gamekeeper. It won't end well for you. you OK, know. well, is he any <laughs> good as a gamekeeper, first off? <laughs> <laughs> well, she takes a, a, a <laughs> she takes a lot of interest in his pheasants in the early moments of the film. OK. So you realise it's not really the pheasants that she's interested in. Let's put it that way. OK. Um, I haven't read the book, Sean. I don't know whether you have, but what I liked about this adaptation is... The riding's all there, like, don't worry about that. There's plenty of that. But there's a lot of texture to the film as well, a lot of story in it. Like, I didn't realise, for example, OK, so it's set during World War One, and there's a lot of political stuff going on as well. Um, and it's kind of centres on this relationship between Connie Chatterley, who's played by, of course, Emma, Emma Corrin, who's suddenly everywhere after appearing on The Crown. And she's married to a man named Clifford. They're a very wealthy couple. Uh, he's played by Matthew Duckett. And in early on in the film, they're just mad into sex. So she's, you know, it's established very early on that she has a great sex life with her husband. And even to the extent that her friends, as one of the refreshing things about this film, like people didn't start talking to each other about sex in the 1980s. They actually used to do it a few generations ago as well. And they do that here, you know. And her, her sister kind of and friend kind of advise her not to get married to him because they actually think they're just in the first flushes of the sexual relationship. But they do get married because he's heading off to war um, and he's fighting at the front. Uh, pretty early on, you established that. So it's a new relationship. It's kind of based on a, a, a healthy sex life. So when he comes back and he has been left paralysed um, 
because of an injury at the war. Like their marriage is suddenly very, very different to what they expected it to be, you know. Um, so uh, interesting, again, because I hadn't read the novel, I didn't know this. Um, it's actually Clifford, the hub- husband, who's the first person to suggest that they have a son by another man. So being a posh British gentry type, he's obsessed with having an heir. Um, and, you know, he's kind of saying the mechanical act of sex is nothing compared to a life lived together. So he thinks, you know, he does actually compare it as like, like a trip to the dentist at one point. So he thinks she can just go and get impregnated by another man and there's going to be no emotional mess involved in that. Um, and she's extremely uneasy with that suggestion because, you know, she's actually a bit offended by it because she's going, I just married this guy. Like, <laughs> just a bit I'm, offended by it. <laughs> I'm wheeling him up and down the bloody estate and now he's telling me he doesn't care if I have sex with somebody else, you know. So that's kind of the beginning of the downfall, I suppose, of, of their relationship. Um, and she gets kind of distressed at the prospect, but then she meets the gamekeeper who's played by Jack O'Connell. She goes you know what, maybe it's not such a bad idea after all. Mm. Um, so their relationship develops. So, so I think that's kind of interesting because I thought, I always thought the story was more one note than that, you know. And I think that's the power of D.H. Lawrence's novel and maybe why people are so fascinated by it and so obsessed with it after all these years. Um, and then it spends time as well on the realities of a marriage not being what you expected it to be. Um, like there's a lot of time when you know her friend confronts him at one stage and says the husband and says who's taking care of her while she's taking care of you like she's become quite ill um, so they hire a, a caregiver crucially to plot elements that emerge later in the film and it frees her up I suppose to then embark on this passionate affair they first before they get down to the nookie they actually bond over a love of James Joyce um, he's living in Jack O'Connell's character, Mr. Meller. He's living in uh, the cottage in, in the grounds of the house. And he's a bit of a tinker, you know, it's a very good piece of casting here to get a, an actor of the caliber of, of O'Connell, I think, to play him because he's not into the idea of being um, used at all. Like we find out in his backstory, you know, or he, he believes he's being used if, 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 if when he discovers that she's trying to get pregnant, you know, mm. Um we find out in his backstory that he was married and he ended up separated from and really humiliated. You know, remember, this was 1914 or whatever, really humiliated by the fact that his wife um, slept around on him and had affairs with other men. And it's kind of the talk of the town still. So the idea of getting involved in a mess multiplied by the fact that he's a working class guy and they're posh people is um, not appealing to him at all. But sure, the passion takes over and... Um, the the you know the sexual relationship begins and there's a lot of sex scenes in this they're well enough handled I think they're they're sturdily good um you know it's so hard I think to get sex right on on screen um and I yeah I remember like I think normal people struck such a chord with people because of um th- those sex scenes they were so powerful and I I remember um. Lenny Abrahamson telling me at the time, it always struck with me that he wanted the characters to, in their sexual act together, to be having a conversation. And I thought that was really interesting. And I think they're trying to do the same thing here. And I think with the use of intimacy coaches now in 
in films. I think it's kind of going to empower actors to do better sex scenes. So it's pretty good. Um, you don't see too many wobbly bits. I, I think that's probably not a bad thing either. Um, but <laughs> it's very clear how they become more connected through their sexual relationship, which is a big theme in D.H. Lawrence's film, is can having a great sex life with someone connect you even though you're in totally different worlds and you've nothing else pretty much in common. Yeah. You know, so What's the husband kind of doing when they're doing all this? Does he and does he know? Is he smiling he benignly become, in all this? He becomes pretty disinterested in her and and in the end really her affair is kind of an act of defiance as much as anything else because when the new carer comes into the house, the older woman uh, like there's a lot of social status and rank and stuff going on in really interesting ways. Um, like she is uh, kind of an older woman and she kind of befriends him and slowly kind of takes over as the woman of the house on the much younger Lady Chatterley, you know. So she okay, feels that. And then he has companions in as well. Um, and because he's not relying on her for care anymore, he kind of becomes disinterested in her. So you kind of wonder... Is it is it the fact that the marriage was, you know, that they never should have got married, that it was a kind of a fling and that her friends who warned her at the start were pretty right because now he is not interested in her because he, there's nothing you can do about it, really. Um, so that's all pretty interesting. And I think, mm. you know, so, I think oh, uh, overall, is, Esther, like, uh, is this, you know, is this a five star movie then? I think it's I'd be three, four stars on it. I definitely okay. enjoyed it. I think it's better. It's, it's a conventional enough story ultimately, but I think it's, you know, it's far better than anything like now, like the recent Netflix adaptations where everyone's winking at the camera in a postmodern way. Um, that was starting right. to really <laughs> yeah. annoy me. This like, is this an is actual story. Adaptation. It's yeah. a sturdy okay. love story. You know? Okay, I, did, well, I a, did like it. No, that's not, that's not bad. Just going back to that Indiana, new Indiana Jones movie that might be set in the 1980s. Someone's texting in to suggest, so the new Indiana Jones movie has Indy in, the 80, in his 80s during the 1980s walking into a cinema and watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, which came out in the 1980s. Nice. That's a mind-bending plot. That's really excellent. (laughs) Movies and booze on Moncrief on News Talk. Anyway, Dean, let's uh, move on to our second beer of the day. It is uh, a beer we've uh, sampled very uh, often today, uh, often over the years, delirium trends, yeah. but never in a keg this big, yeah, which should be said. Interestingly, yeah, uh, now it has been available on draft in the country, but uh, there's also a difference in uh, this keg versus what it would taste like in a pub. Because in ah. a lot of the pubs in Ireland, the cold room is quite a distance away from the bar. And uh, there's two things that the gas does when it is uh, used in a draft dispense system. One thing that it does is it pushes the liquid from the keg in the cold room through the pipes up to the bar. The second thing that it does is it keeps the level of carbonation in the beer correct. Now, when you've got very long lines, you need to, if if you were to try to use carbonation, uh, carbon dioxide as the only gas uh, in the draft dispense, uh, you'd be pushing so hard that you would push loads of carbonation into the beer. The beer would get incredibly um, fizzy and when you were trying to pour it, it would pour with a, a huge head. So in Ireland, a lot of the beer is poured with a mix of nitrogen and carbon dioxide. And nitrogen is slightly less soluble and it kind of gives a slightly more creamy texture to the beer. Now with this, because there is no draw whatsoever, the pipe from the mm. keg to the thing is, is like two inches long. Um, what you've got is pure CO2. So... <clears throat> 
It's a slightly more vibrant uh, flavour. Um, yes, and, yeah. And, you know, it's a little know, bit, yeah. not, not quite as, as creamy, but it's got um, uh, peach, mango, fruit flavours, uh, Belgian spice, cinnamon, nutmeg, um, uh, black pepper, um, a little bit of mint eucalyptus in the background, uh, but absolutely beautiful beer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when Rachel tasted it, Rachel thought, oh, no, that's, that's not as strong as the other beer, but that's what's enticing in its strength. Yeah, it's Yeah, funny enough, Rachel, uh, Vincent at Ocean Ireland, Vincent sends in the best stories. He says, uh, I actually did taste Armadillo in Trinidad. <gasps> it's called Tattoo, uh, and I immediately regretted it, as you can catch leprosy from it. Okay, so very adventurous. If you though, actually do bite. taste Armadillo, uh, yeah, uh, see a doctor immediately. <laughs> right, uh, we'll move on to our second movie. Uh, in the remaining time we have it's called After Sun here's a clip I think it's nice that we share the same sky what do you mean? well like sometimes at playtime I look up to the sky and if I can see the sun then I think about the fact that we can both see the sun so even though we're not actually in the same place and we're not actually together we kind of are in a way you know like, we're both underneath the same sky, so kind of together. That scene, uh, you could feel anyway after that scene, other than that music in the background, it makes it feel utterly depressing. It's not depressing. It's really sad. I was listening back to that clip because I'm remembering that scene. and I was going, keep it together now when you get on air. Mm. <laughs> it's really, really sad and heartfelt, this, but never manipulative or grim. Um, just kind of big life stuff, but you will be shattered by it. I'm just warning you. Um, I'm coming to the time show where I'm doing the end of the year, best of year oh, movies of the year. And I think this is very firmly in third place at the moment. Behind only um, Banshees of Inishirin and uh, on Colleen Kuhn. Okay. Which is going to be, I think, a lot of people's number one this year. And, and like on Colleen Kuhn, this film will break your heart and put it all back together again. And it, it's just one of these films for the ages. I think it's going to be a classic. We're going to be talking about it in years to come. And what's more extraordinary about that is it's a debut film from a young filmmaker, a Scottish filmmaker um, by the name of Charlotte Wells. And uh, Meskel's playing Scottish here because this is very, very loosely based on her own childhood um, memories or observations. And he's playing the divorced dad of um, a daughter, an 11 year old girl named Sophie, who's played by a brilliant newcomer by the name of Frankie Corio. Um, and she, they're off on a sun holiday together. They managed to make a Turkish sun holiday um, in 1990s. Uh, in the 1990s look a bit glamorous and otherworldly, hmm. which is extraordinary. And there's a reason for that. So it's 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 shot kind of two ways, this film. It's shot conventionally as on, on screen, you know, on, with ca- film cameras, but it's also shot through the um, Frankie's or Sophie's um, camcorder. So her camcorder is really her mind's eye because we know from the beginning of the film that Sophie's now grown up, that she's looking back and remembering her memories of her father on this very, very relevant holiday that will, you know, have lifelong memories for her for lots of different reasons. And I think what's magical about the film is that that looking back as an adult, she has the camcorder, by the way. So we, we the film is bookended by her watching this footage back. 
um, and and using that camera as a, as her mind, her child's eye, and realizing in her childhood eye that she knew something was off even when she was eleven about her dad, and and the heartbreak of revisiting that as an adult. Mm. I think it's really really special this okay um, okay it's five well, stars I, from me all right was, okay the, the final scene is one of the best things i've ever seen on a on a big screen right it's and, just and exceptional. Uh, 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 obviously the first two movies in in esther's top 10 are irish and irish actors uh, in this one but while after sun and even will smith might be in uh, awards contention i think they probably all are scared about uh, the arrival of cocaine bear a lot of cocaine was lost. I need you to go and get it. No, 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 don't eat that, don't eat that. Let's see what kind of effect that has on me. Right, uh, I don't know if you really got the gist of the plot there, but give us the gist of the plot because this is a true story. This is based on a true story about an 80 kilogram black bear, okay, in Georgia. Back in 1985, a drug smuggler was flying over a forest, dropped some drugs out of his plane because it was too heavy. The bear comes across the drugs and ate loads of cocaine. And this is a true, true story. They found him in amongst 40 empty plastic containers that used to have cocaine in them. He ate them all. In real life, the poor bear passed away after, you know, being yeah, high on cocaine, as being you do. not allowed into several nightclubs, probably. That's it, yeah. he got turned away. Yeah. <laughs> he passed away, right? In this movie that's been made by Elizabeth Banks, fantastic director, uh, it actually, you know, because it wouldn't be exciting enough just to have a yeah, bear high bear. on cocaine. Yeah. The bear in the movie then goes on a murderous rampage through this forest and he comes across campers, kids, uh, some criminals and, you know, obviously it, it attacks everyone that he sees. Um, this is it's a dark comedy. It looks absolutely hilarious, ridiculous. The bear is having a great time. The people, not so much. It was all filmed in Ireland, uh, in Wicklow. So apparently Elizabeth Banks says there's no need to visit Georgia in, in the US because you just go down to Wicklow, it's the same thing. When is this coming out or is it out now? No, it's coming out next next year, Sean. Cocaine Bear, get it in your diary and he might be up there with Will at the Oscars. Who knows? Uh, I can't wait. Uh, Ray, Rachel, Dean, Esther, thank you all very much. Movies and booze, I'm Moncrief. On News Talk.